Since you enjoy this show, I thought I'd throw out there another podcast you might like. It's a show about the intersection of design, technology, and the creative process. It's the Design Better podcast. And in each episode, hosts Eli Woolery and Aaron Walter bring you conversations with inspiring creative thinkers like John Cleese and David Sedaris, people who bring design and technology together like Tony Fadal, co-inventor of the iPhone and the iPod. So far, some standout episodes for me have been when they talk to John Cleese of Monty Python about creativity. That is one of my favorite topics and one of my favorite people. Then also one of my favorite musicians, Tycho, about his creative process. And they talk with Seth Godin about how creativity is an act of generosity. I've always been fascinated by design, the creativity behind it, the implementation of it, both to improve our lives from a functionality and user interface standpoint, also from an artful bringing beauty into the world approach. So whether you're a design curious person like me or a design pro, Design Better is a great listen that inspires and informs. Subscribe to the Design Better podcast at designbetterpodcast.com or in your favorite podcast app like the one you're using right now. and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm excited to welcome back to the show, Brian Falchuk. He's been on the show before. Last time, it was to talk about his book, Do a Day, which is a great episode to go revisit. I'll make sure to link up to that in the show notes if you've not heard that one before or want to go revisit it. But this time, we're talking about his new book, The 50-75-100 Solution, Build Better Relationships. And the reason that this book is important when it comes to productivity is that a lot of the productivity friction that we have comes in the form of relationships, whether that's professional relationships or family or friends or romantic relationships. And the great thing about the 50-75-100 solution is that it shows you how you can be the source of the solution to those problems and even proactively get ahead of them and eliminate them or at least greatly reduce them. So in this conversation, Brian and I unpack the context of how he came up with this solution. And then don't worry, you're not going to have to do a lot of math, even though there's a small amount of math when it comes to the 50, the 75 and the 100. So put your calculator and your pad and pen away. You won't need them unless you're going to take notes on this conversation with Brian Falchuk. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome back to the show, Brian Falchuk. Brian, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me on again, Eric. It's been a while. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we noticed, but the, that's the okay. The changed a little bit. It's it's changed a little bit. Yeah. yeah, I mean, but that's that's okay. We we changed too, and yeah. and hopefully for the better. Uh, last time we were talking about do a day, yes. and uh, that that was really fun. In fact, I'll link up to that in the show notes for this episode. This one's different because we're not talking explicitly or specifically about productivity, although that's what the point of this whole podcast is, is talking yeah. about all the the tangents of productivity and one of those being relationships and the friction yeah. that inevitably comes about. So, <laughs> yeah, we we don't get to just work, work on our own, even if we are like solopreneurs or, you know, we, we don't work on a team or like ultimately you interact with people. There's no way around that. And so how productive and enriching or positive that is matters for our productivity and for the value, like how much we value our life and, and get back from it. Yeah. We've been talking a lot about actually it recent, in recent times on this show, the intersection 
between relationships and networking and productivity, mm. as well as how technology plays into all of that in terms of, you know, Zoom burnout and things like that. And, yeah. and, and in fact, I, I think one of the things is, you know, sometimes people are doing just audio calls or all of these video calls, which, you know, it's the reason that Zoom burnout is a thing. It's not that just you're doing a lot of them. It's that yeah. it requires a different set of paying attention skills to yeah. look for the cues, right? Yeah. So the energy, the energy spent is yeah. totally different. Like yeah. you, you have a phone call and you feel like you need to thank the person. <laughs> yes. It's like a nice little treat. Yes. Yeah. And that's, and that's, I still, you know, for, for the sake of bandwidth it is what I always say. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I want to dive in to the 50, 70, 100 solution. And I don't want to go into the math just yet. I want you to maybe set up the context of, yeah. you know, how you, stumbled upon this what what made you think of this come up with this uh you know how, what led you to this point of talking about relationships in this way yeah so it uh you know it was born of my own situation primarily in my marriage where my wife and i were were butting heads a lot which i think a lot of people not just married people but a lot of people can understand you know you you go through periods where your relationship's in a tough spot and there's a lot of me versus you, us versus them kind of mentality. That's that's the number 50, not to jump into the math, but it's like, it's 50-50, you know, in this whole thing, like it's me against you, I got half, you got half. And that doesn't really get you anywhere. You just keep slapping into each other. And, um, you know, our situation, like not to go back to the last conversation you and I had, Eric, but like our, my marriage was very much defined by this period where my wife became incredibly sick. We thought she was going to die. And that just sort of led us down a path of having very specific roles. And they weren't like loving husband and wife. It was more transactional. Like I do all the caretaking and she's busy with trying to, I mean, literally save her life, but then get and stay well, all for good reason. But you really fall into those patterns hard and that doesn't leave a lot of room for connecting as human beings, as spouses. Um, it just, it changes the dynamic. And as you continue down that path, you reinforce that more and more. It gets to be more and more kind of headbutting or just like two positions in a whole rather than one team coming together. And that was not an enjoyable way to live. Um, I had started a job that, um, had me traveling every week. And I mean, it's actually going back. Like I was probably halfway through that job. I, I was there for three years. So it was like a year and a half in, but I was gone all the time. So like I'm gone five days a week and the two days in the weekend is like recovering from and prepare, preparing for being gone all the time. So we, we were really not doing anything to solve this issue. And both of us were pretty miserable with it. It's just that we didn't have to be around each other for five days. So that made it easier, but that's not sustainable. And each of us was doing work, you know, a therapist kind of, you know, someone to talk to, like to work on ourselves, but we were only working on ourselves, not on the other person um, or how we relate to the other person. And it was in that context that someone, uh, a therapist that I was seeing recommended this book on Buddhism and I picked it up and started to read through it. And I really started to understand the relational nature of human beings and really of everything in the world. And it was just hitting me as like, I'm not working on this problem with my wife the right way. Cause I'm either just working on myself or complaining about what's going on within herself. And there's never anything about how do we, like, how are we influencing and affecting each other? 
And so that for me was like, there's something more to this that I need to explore. And the deeper I got into the book, the more books I wanted to read. So I went down this rabbit hole of, of really getting deep on a lot of the, the principles in Buddhism that honestly were like getting me excited by the, the path of changing this dynamic. Wow. Yeah, that's great. I, I, man, I, I can see where, because I already know where we're going and what the math means, yeah. I can see how that brought you to this point. So I guess that's a good segue to just say, let's jump into what the 50, 75, 100 solution, uh, is and then what it means. And I, I, I'm wanna, you know, I've got different pieces of questions that go with all the yeah. numbers and everything. So yeah. When I, I hate like, some people see the numbers are like, Oh God, I don't want to get into math. Like, I don't, it's like, ignore the numbers it's, for a second. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's, it's just about, yeah. Well, it's it, like our pieces of, of this whole relationship. Yeah. And in fact, I, I, before we go to the numbers, I know that there's actually some context and some yes. keywords you've got to set up first yeah. for us to understand what those, how those numbers then come into play. Right. Right. So there were three principles that I learned about in all this reading and research that really stood out to me. There's a lot that blew me away and inspired me in, in the research I did, but three in particular were really important, I thought, for what was going on um, with these relationship dynamics. And I should say, like, you know, I'm framing this around my marriage, but actually really early on, I also got to apply what I'm going to talk to you about in a work setting. It's something I use in my my larger family, like, you know, my siblings, my parents, friends, um, even strangers. You know, someone who read the book texted me uh, after using it at a gas station with the guy at the pump next to him. So like it, it really, it's pretty broadly applicable. The ideas, the three principles from Buddhism are happiness seeking, interdependence and impermanence. And so those three things um, are really critical to understand. And happiness seeking is is by far the most important one. But this is the notion that we all do what we do in our pursuit of happiness. Like we we may say something that someone else doesn't like or do something to them that they don't like, but it's not just to be mean to them. It's because we want something, whether we're aware of that or not. And you can say like, well, you just called me a name. Like, how does that have anything to do with your happiness? It's like, well, maybe I'm hurting. And maybe my the, the tools I'm using to try to stop hurting are flawed. But for whatever reason, I decided, you know, flinging an insult back at you was going to make me feel better. Even if it doesn't, you know, punching you when you've punched me will make me feel better, even if it doesn't, you know, it doesn't take away my pain. And sometimes our pursuit of happiness help someone else. You know, like if you go and volunteer at a soup kitchen or, you know, you give someone a dollar that's that's down in their luck, that's on the corner asking for help, like whatever it is, that act helps them, but it probably makes you feel better. So sometimes our pursuit of happiness can help other people. And sometimes it may stand in the way of their happiness. When you think about it like that, suddenly things can feel like less of a personal attack. And I think that's really important because so often when we get into these headbutting situations or arguments, we feel that the other person is doing this to us, right? And we feel like they sought us out to hurt us. It's like, you know, I, I always use the story of getting cut off in traffic, A, because, well, it was a true story, but I think everybody can relate to it. And B, it really sets this notion up well is like when 
you know, if you're driving along the highway, someone cuts you off. It's not like they woke up that morning and you're like, you know what I should do today? I should find this random person who I've never met, find their car on the highway and get in front of it unsafely. Like that, that would be a great thing for me. And it's like, well, obviously that didn't happen, right? They just, they thought getting in front of you would get them a little further ahead, would put them closer to their goal, would, you know, maybe they thought you cut them off. So they want to get back at you, but it's not actually about you as a human being. It's about them and what they want. And so if you think about it like that, you're less likely to fall into road rage and like try to cut them off in return or scream at them, even though they can't hear you or flip your middle finger at them, like whatever it is we tend to do in response. If you don't see it as being personally sought out to be wronged, it's much easier to choose a different path in response. So happiness seeking is incredibly important, especially in these heated moments where we would, we would feel like this person's doing something to us. Uh, and so that's the first and most important piece. And that's the one I most actively employ, especially in those moments where someone's saying something really hurtful or has done something that harms me or takes away from my happiness or, you know, whatever it is that normally their response is like, oh, wow, they did this to me or you threatened me or, you know, seeing it as you verb me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so happiness seeking is is the first step. Interdependence is the second. And what this is, is that nothing exists in and of itself. Like no one is just good or just bad. We are those things in relation to different people in different situations. You know, I say like, that's why bullies have friends, right? You may see them as this terrible person and, um, you know, if you had a young son and, and there's some bullies at school and, um, you know, we'd go to like the, the chorus night or whatever performance the kids are doing. And you see like that bully kid is like laughing and friendly with three kids over them. Like, well, obviously they're not bullying everyone. They're not just a bully. They're a bully to some people or some people, some of the time. I mean, he has kids who were mean to him in first grade that are his friends in fifth or sixth grade. Um, you know, we've all been there. We fight with our loved ones and then we love them. You know, we go through relationships where we're madly in love and then we break up and we hate the person and never want to see them again. So different people in different situations have a different sense of each other. Uh, if you change the people or you change the situation, then you can get a different outcome. You fight and you make up, you have a conversation about it. You change the dynamic, of the situation, you understand each other better and you're in a good place again, or maybe the opposite. So we are interdependent with each other, which means we can get to a different place by affecting each other. And that's, that's the dynamic by which our happiness seeking ends up playing out. Cause what I do in pursuit of my happiness, cause we're interdependent may impact you and how you feel about me or how you view me. And the last piece is impermanence. And this is the notion that the only constant is change, right? Everything changes, even just aging. Like everything is slightly different from moment to moment, but certainly over long spans of time, which for me really just gives us hope. You know, we feel like. All we do is argue. We'll never get anywhere. This person's always going to be difficult, but there's something changing in them and in you constantly. What if you can tap into that? And because we're all interdependent, if you change or you change that situation or they're changing, the situation's changing, which means we can get a different version of them because we're all interconnected. And the way we affect that change is through getting at or appealing to the happiness seeking that's going on. So it's a lot, but these three things really go together. We've got 
the way to think about it and the the tool to use to make change. We have the connection between all of us that allows that tool to actually have an impact. And then we have this reminder that it's worth the effort because everything changes. So it doesn't have to be like this always and forever until the end of time. And that's kind of the, the backdrop to 5075-100. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people, or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you enjoy Beyond the To-Do List, I invite you to check out Best Laid Plans. I'm Sarah Hart Unger, the host of Best Laid Plans, a podcast devoted to all things planning and planning adjacent. I talk about everything from paper planner reviews to deep dives into all things productivity, from keeping track of goals and tasks to fitting in your true priorities and reducing the stress around planning and organizing across different areas of life. I am a practicing physician and mother of three, so I have a lot going on in my own life and I'm intimately familiar with the time constraints that impact us all. And I love sharing my own productivity strategies and learning from others who have their own ideas to share. I invite you to check out Best Laid Plans, available on all podcast platforms, or visit my website, theshoebox.com, T-H-E-S-H-U-B-O-X.com, to learn more. Okay, so now that we have not just set up the premise and the context, we can now get to the actual mathematic equation. The numbers. The numbers yeah. themselves, which is which honestly are not at all complicated once you explain it. So go ahead and walk yeah. through it. And it's much easier with a picture. So yes. if anyone's listening and you're by like a computer or something, just go to Amazon and Google 5075 100 solution and you'll see the cover art and you'll be like, okay, I can follow along. So we, you know, I was saying the 50 50 of a relationship, me versus you. And on the cover, there's two like, papered all pictures, papered all people. We, instead of seeing it as 50, 50 and the the hundred is just, you know, the hundred percent, the whole of the relationship. So we've got the 50, everyone gets that, but actually I see it as four quarters rather than two halves. And the reason why is because each of us, each of our 50% is split in half between our actions and our reactions. So our actions are what we're choosing to put out into the world of our own free will. Our reactions are how we're responding to what the other person is doing. And, you know, we can choose to put something different out into the world. That's not new. But what I realized is my reactions are based on, you know, I'll use the example of my wife because she can't hear me right now. So she won't get mad at me for, for focusing on her. Um, she's doing things and I'm responding to that. I have a choice in how I respond. It doesn't mean it's easy. You know, she calls me a name or says something mean or, or 
whatever, um, doesn't mean it's easy to not react poorly to that, but I still can. Uh, and I, I think it's important to recognize that as like, a you know, oh, you have a choice. It's like, well, wait a second. That person just like, you know, punched me. I don't have a choice. I didn't ask them to, you know, they just stole my wallet. I don't have a choice. Like, it doesn't mean it's easy, but you always have a choice in what you do in response. Even if there was nothing else that came out of this solution, just this one piece, you can choose your reaction. You can choose how to react. We often dumb down and think, oh, I don't have a choice. We, I'm a victim. In other words, that that is, if we, when we first come to acknowledge that that isn't true, that we are not a victim, no one's do again, it goes back to what you were talking about earlier, where the person didn't wake up just to offend you today. Yeah. So, (laughs) so right. So this is where happiness seeking comes in. If you can understand a different motivation, that's less about coming down on you and just making your life suck. It's a lot easier to react differently. And the reason why I'm not focusing on the actions is most people accept that what I'm doing of my own free will exclusive of that person's actions. Yeah, I can, I can choose to do good things with that. But then they came along and they were so mean and they did this and they did that. I didn't have a choice but to react in this way. So the reactions are where we tend to have more of our problem. And the reality is it's still a choice. And the reality is if we change the way our mind is framing what they just did, whether we are consciously trying to react differently, we probably will because our energy and our emotions are different. So you receive from them and you process with this idea of happiness seeking, and then you choose to put something different out in the world. And this is where it goes from 50-50 to 75. Because over on their half of the problem, they're split in half just like you are. They've got actions and reactions. So half of them is a response to what you're doing. Which means if you put out a different version of you, if you choose to make a different reaction to their behavior, you're giving them a different version of you to react to in turn. So they say something mean. If you give them a better version of you, their reactions could go in a better direction. So you end up going from just controlling yourself. You know, I can only fix me. They're the problem. Now you have control over control or influence over three quarters of the problem because you control yourself. You choose better for yourself and you're influencing half of them. So three quarters, 75% of that relationship problem are either directly or indirectly under your control and influence. That was the wake up for me is like, it's not hopeless. My wife will never be nice to me. Or, you know, I told the story of a coworker who was trying to get me fired. Like I can't do anything about them. Well, wait a second. What if I respond differently? What if I don't feed into like with this coworker? She's setting me up to look bad in front of our boss. Like, what if I do different than what she had preconceived in her head was going to be my response? She thought I'd go nuts when she threw this bomb and, you know, argue and, and she would just out argue me and win and I get fired. Um, what if I don't go into that? What if I choose a completely different path? I might get a different response out of her. So now instead of just feeding into it and like 50-50 with her, I would lose. She's super respected, super smart. She was a litigator. Like she's used to arguing with people and winning. I don't stand a chance 50-50. But what if I can influence her behavior? That's 75. If I do that, I can move the whole, the 100% to a better place. And that's what I've been doing. And that's what I've been trying to teach with people and you know, I put this into action really quickly because things were in a particularly 
tough spot with my wife. And then this coworker situation popped up like right at the same time. And I was shocked with how quickly it worked with my wife. It took a little, you know, it took a couple of weeks with the coworker. It was like in real time. And, um, I was like, there's something to this. And so I started to use it more and I started to share it with people that I, I was coaching and, you know, who were talking about difficult situations they're in. And I was like, okay, this is actually, it's not just for husbands and wives or boyfriends and girlfriends or girlfriends and girlfriends or whatever. It's working in all these different situations, very different dynamics. There's something to this. And what I would say to be clear is it doesn't mean that you guys like hold hands and skip off together. It doesn't mean everything great, but it does mean it's better than what it is. And in some cases, that means you walk away. You know, it doesn't mean no divorce. It doesn't mean you stay in every job forever. Um, but it's a question of how you exit and what's left of you as a result of that. That's really important too. So, you know, can you co-parent? Can you um, gracefully exit the role and put the company in a good position? Because burning bridges doesn't tend to serve anybody. Um, so, you know, how do you get to a better place in the situations you're, you're at? It doesn't mean you stand there and you take a beating. So I want to be clear on that because some people are like, well, you know, if, if you're in an, an abusive situation, why would you stay? Like, what if the best answer is that you should get divorced? Yeah, it still might be. But, you know, you want to do that with lots of blood or do you want to do that in a way that it's amicable and you're not fighting for the rest of your life? Like, I would much rather have that. Well, speaking of fighting, th this all all of this and the way that the action and the reaction uh, play into each other, how the 50 is your actions and reactions and then how you can influence their reactions, uh, specifically that influencing their reactions feels a lot like the the um the martial art of judo where you mm. use you know their force back against them and yeah. and it's not that you're wanting to use therefore again i i use the word fighting with air quotes to say it's not that you're fighting them it's that they may even without knowing it be fighting themselves yeah. and sabotaging their own happiness seeking by attaching to you and thinking you're in their way and yeah. you might and you and, and very well to be truthful you might be but yep. maybe you don't have to be and that's again that goes to interdependence but what i was yeah. trying to get at here was uh that the judo is in a sense using their force that they may be meaning for good or for ill but you you know for their own good but without knowing it as and ill towards you um you can disarm them and use their force against them and even use their force with your force and get together to both seek happiness together. Yeah. I mean, judo is, it's about disarming. It's about incapacitating their attack. Yeah. It's not about killing people. No, it's, it's um, about undoing. It's, it's yeah. about deflecting undo and not in a bad way. Deflect gets a, gets a bad, that word gets a bad rap, but it's, yeah. it's, it's about, um, I, I guess I, I, like the word I went with earlier, disarm. We usually think of that as being like a kicking something, you know, kicking the gun out of their hand, uh, yeah. disarming the bomb, but it's really just to deescalate. There's a better word. Yeah. Uh, deescalate in terms of things escalating. Cause if you, cause this is other, the other thing that popped in my head earlier. I know I'm rambling here, but I like this cause you got me going. Um, <laughs> yeah. The, the, the whole factor of, okay, I'm 50, they're 50 in the hundred. That's where the hundred comes in. Cause I don't know if we yep. mentioned that yet, but that's pretty obvious. Um, 
we both have our actions. That's our, each of us have a 25. And then there's the other 25 in our individual 50 that is reactionary. And the problem comes in is where I'm reacting and they're reacting and we all, we both just escalate. Yes. And, and yep. this is, this is owning your, this is being, uh, self-aware of your own actions, self-aware and present with your own reactions. And then even 25 over into their side of things to disarm their reactions. That's where my mind is. I'm just jumbling well, all together, but yeah. No, no, but I mean, so Eric, the cool thing is then you like normally we're, when we're, we're reacting against each other, we get in this, uh, self-perpetuating, like vicious cycle. When you start to change, like you give them a different version of you, even only a little bit, but a different version of you to react to, they react differently. And it may take a couple of back and forth before you start to break the cycle, but they eventually get into a place where they're giving you a better version of them to react to because you're starting to de-escalate them. And what you end up doing is you get to a virtuous cycle where you're each giving better versions of yourself for the other one to react to. So it stops being so much active work and it just ends up being better. And like you, you start to break that cycle and you do that with enough um, repetition, enough consistency, and you change more permanently the dynamic that you're dealing with. And that's where it gets really powerful. It's not, doesn't have to just be for the one off, like, okay, we're in a fight. How do I stop it? And we're talking about like stronger negative situations, fights, but it doesn't just have to be for fights. It can be for kind of innocuous situations or like, blah, you know, they're, they're not good. They're not bad. But like, is that, do you just want not bad relationships in your life or do you want ones that are enriching and helpful and, um, or, you know, you're in a negotiation of some kind, like what can you do to help move both of you to a better place instead of we're each going to, you know, I want zero, you want a hundred. So we're going to settle on 50. It's like, well, neither of you got anything then you're both worse off. And that's not, it's not a great place to be. Like I call it the last cookie problem. Like if there's one cookie, I, I use this because like cookies are delicious, but if there's one cookie left and we both want it, the answer isn't to split it. I know that's what they teach you in nursery school, but like then neither of us actually got what we wanted. We got something, but we're not, neither of us is happy. So how do we both get to a place where we're happy about what we get? Even if it means, you know, one of us walks away with nothing or we neither of us gets what we wanted, but we've come to a new understanding where we appreciate getting half of it. Each of us is good. But if we just split it right off the bat, like we're not ready for that. Now we've each compromised and maybe don't feel good about it. Interesting. Yeah. Well, and, and the other piece to this is that it's it again, it's not about every single individual encounter you have with somebody it's you know in the workplace which is a lot of where this comes into play or even you're you're constantly going to be working with some of the same people over and over again repeatedly uh you know it may they may come and go in seasons but it's that long-term um de-escalation and setting of you know how do we optimally work together towards both of our happiness things that comes to mind for me is that uh, you know AI may not even fully be aware of what I'm needing clarity on to seek in terms of my own happiness. And so I should afford that doubt to somebody else. You know, again, that's part of that's that's kind of the way I see, you know, dealing, not dealing with, but uh, influencing their reactions is that in that disarming, we can get to 
well, what's the real problem here? Because sometimes that's even something that's unknown to both people until you really start to dialogue. Right. And uh, each of you probably has a sense of what it is and you're both wrong. Right. You know, so like you, you got to come together to figure out where the actual where the actual problem lies. And it's probably a misunderstanding of the other person. Again, like it's the happiness seeking. So what are you doing to get to a place where you understand or you can appreciate what might be going on in their head? And I think, again, that's that's one of the things that just never we just don't go that far. We we go to, uh, you know, we, we spend a lot of time thinking self-help where, OK, yeah. how can I be the best me? And, you know, or we'll take it one step further and we'll say, OK, well, how can I react to other people better? How can I still remain aware of my choice that I always have as to how I am going to react? But we don't take it one step further to the influencing their reaction or even disarming their reaction because we feel no, that's on them. Like if, if you're going to react poorly to me and I'm being good to you, like that's on you. And and to a point that is true, but that's not really what you're saying here. Right. And the idea of actually pausing and thinking about what someone else cares about any, anytime you can pause, you're going to, probably get to place where you start bringing more rational thought into it. So a piece of this is all just about like buying yourself a little bit of space to think and think about values. Um, but here, like you don't know what they actually care about, but it's worth trying to think about it. And for a lot of people, you know, when it, when I work on this with them, their initial response is like, they just want to be mean. I'm like, nope, that's not it. You're still like, you're at the reaction space. So why might they want to be mean? Like you got to get to what actually matters to them. And, um, you know, my example with my coworker was interesting because she had been going after another one of our peers really nastily and no one really knew why. And it was like, Oh, they just hate each other. Like anytime someone says just, you should know like, okay, what you're about to hear is probably not true. It's, it's an oversimplification. And then we were, she and I were really good friends. And then boom, one day she came at me really hard and sent a very nasty email to our boss, the CEO, myself and our CFO. And it was like laying out all of the ways that I'm super incompetent and ruining the business and need to go immediately. And, you know, what, what could my reaction be? Oh, great. Now she hates me too. Like, yeah, maybe, but is that helping me? Is that going to, inform me on what I need to do in response because the gut reaction is to just like bite back. Like she had all these bullet points with all these quote unquote facts and I have the data. None of what she's saying is right. So I'm like, I can refute all this and I can point to the source of the data, but that's what she's expecting. So like right now, what she wants for whatever reason is for me to get agitated and fly off the handle and say things that she's probably anticipating I'll say, and she's probably got a response ready to go for that. So stop like this is, that's not going to help me. So just feeling attacked and wronged by her is not actually setting me up to navigate this effectively. So I, I needed to pause and I couldn't totally understand what she wanted. And I will say like what ultimately came to be, I never would have seen that coming. Turns out like she had screwed something up very, very seriously. And it was, um, pretty dramatically putting the business at risk and she was trying to hide it and she's very smart and is certain of her 
intelligence. And so her view was she's the only one capable of fixing this. So she has to do that before anyone finds out what happened um, versus like, wow, I found a problem. Let me rope in my peers and let's see if we can solve this together, which would have been the right answer. So anyone who was stumbling upon this problem to expose it, she would then go crazy on because that was a risk to her plan and and her employment. Um, and she just thought we'd mess it up further. So I didn't know that I was starting to expose the problem. Um, you know, I was just going about running my function. And in the course of that, things were coming out and I was alerting the business to it. I had no clue what the reason was behind it. Um, and now I know, you know, she was afraid that I was going to expose her. Same thing with our peer that he was doing things that would have put her problems front and center. And he didn't know either. But, you know, on the surface, like you just look like she just randomly hates us all of a sudden and she likes to argue. So, okay, that maybe all that's true, but that doesn't really put me in a position to figure out how to respond. And so if you can't find the root happiness that they're after, then you need to ask. And that can seem difficult and scary, but you have to engage in a way that allows you to, instead of blocking them, which is how they see you, that you stand in the way of their happiness, like appear to be stepping aside and putting your arm out. It's like, let me help you get to your happiness. Tell us what you're looking for. So how did you do that in in this case? Like, what did yeah. you do? Well, so she sends this scathing email and it's like five or five thirty or something on a Friday afternoon. So of course it's like end of the day. Thank you for ruining the weekend. That was awesome. And, uh, and you know, normally I, I would go off and be like, this is wrong and you know, whatever. Um, but I just realized like, hang on a second. I don't understand what she's after. None of this data is real. So like, uh, it's not that she doesn't know the data. So she's either making this up or someone gave her bad data. And like, in either case, that's a bigger thing than I'm going to solve in a, a nasty email. So I can't just bite back. And by the way, the CEO is watching. So if she sends this really scathing email and I know she's wrong, ultimately she should look unprofessional for doing that or she will be found out to be wrong about it. But if I go down that same path, then I'm going to look unprofessional and wrong as well. And if I'm interested in staying employed, I want to stay on the right side of this. So I can't engage in this kind of childish name calling accusation thing that she's trying to pull me into. So the first thing I wrote in my email back was thank you, which I, I will say like my teeth might have been gritted together while I was <laughs> typing those words. But I was like, I know I need to do this, but I, like it's killing me. But I got, I'm reading about the stuff. I believe in it. So I'm going to live it. Worst case, like she's going to win if I engage and if I don't engage and if I take this, this new approach, you know, I didn't have the name yet for it, but if I have this sort of Buddhism based view, um, she may still win, but like, I have nothing to lose. I might as well try to do it better because I know I'm going to lose if I try to go head to head with her because everyone does. Um, so I said, thank you. And I wanted to at least acknowledge that maybe we're not all on the same page, but not argue about it. So I just said, you know, I'm seeing something different in the data, but emails over the weekend is probably not going to lead us to figuring out what's going on. Why don't I find us all some time to sit down and talk about this? Like total de-escalation and not arguing, not headbutting, but instead, like while I acknowledge like, okay, maybe there's something, you know, that's off in the numbers that everyone's throwing out. Um, 
we all need to work together and figure it out. And I left it at that. And I, I didn't put this in the book, but my boss actually sent an email back. I guess while I was writing, he was also responding. And he's like, that's a fair point and said her name. And I was like, no, it isn't. It's all made up. Like, it's not a fair point at all. It's the definition of not a fair point. But um, we sat down. We talked about it. Um, she, you know, I set the meeting. I just sort of said, you know, she sent this email, very concerning. Um, it looks like, you know, that if that's all true, there's a serious problem brewing in the business. I'm sure none of us wants that to play out. Um, and then I kicked it to her. I said, why don't you lay out what you've been seeing? And more importantly, like, I want to understand what your concerns are and what your thoughts are about what we should do about it. Cause I, I didn't expect she was going to sit there and be like, I think you need to be fired. It's like, well, even if I'm fired, the problems are still the problem. So you still have to solve them, whether I'm here or not. Um, but yeah, it was a little bit of a risk that I took because she might have said that. No, she did. I don't think she looked particularly professional or good. Um, but, you know, so be it. Uh, so she went through her bullet points and she's like, you know, and these numbers and those and, and really angry um, and strong and then just stopped. And I was like, you know, thank you. Uh, I wasn't gritting my teeth this time because I was I was comfortable with where I was going with this. But I said, and can you just share your concern for the business and what you think we should do about it? And so what she ended up saying for her concern was like really rational and reasonable. And all of us in the room were concerned with the same thing. So it's like, oh, we're, we all ultimately have the same happiness we're seeking. We have very different views on what's threatening the happiness and what to do about it. But we're all actually aligned. That's a much easier place to move forward from. Um, and so, you know, she shared some ideas that some of them were interesting. Some of them, like her wrong data needed to be right for those to make sense. But I stopped appearing to stand in the way of her happiness then. And I just said, you know, I think that's a really great point. If that's real, like that is a serious issue that we need to address. Um, I think we can do these things you're talking about. What if I did this as well? Would that be helpful? And she was kind of, I think she's taken aback because I still wasn't arguing. And what I had thrown out was really supportive of her. And so it just like totally different, you know, that 25% in her, that, that reaction space, like I'd short circuited it. And so suddenly the whole meeting came down and it was like, yeah, okay, what if we do this? We can do this. We had a plan. Um, now we'll say we were never friends again. We had like, we had just had dinner together while we were, um, you know, we traveled quite a bit for work. So like the executive team was in another city. She and I grabbed dinner. We're both vegans. So it was kind of, you know, like we were the weirdos. Um, like we never had a meal together like that again. Um, it was professional, but not friendly, but we could do it. We could work together and it was real. And she never came for me again. She never pulled one of those stunts again. And, you know, that's a really good example of like, it doesn't mean you're all hugging each other and it's all good. But I would definitely take where it went to from where it was. And that gave me the space to get on with my job, which was a big, important and difficult job. And I didn't have time uh, or energy to spend on the sort of games that she was playing. And it turns out within a few months, the problems had come out too clearly. She couldn't hide anymore and she ended up leaving. Um, and I'm not going to, that was not my happiness. Like it was a lot easier without her there, but the real issues, like the problems were real. They had impacted the business. We missed our chance to get in front of them and trying to clean them up 
wasn't great. So, you know, if we all cared about the same happiness, which is what we figured out in that meeting, wouldn't it have been great if we could have gotten to that in the first place? And that's what I saw with my peer who she was fighting with. Like that was eight months before she took me on. What if we had gotten to that point then? So it was like, not only does this approach work, what a waste when we don't use it because we could have avoided this whole mess. And like, you know, there's hundreds of people working in that company that would all be in a better place and the company would be better financially if we didn't have to deal with that. So it's not as simple as just like two people who don't get along. There's all kinds of different repercussions to that all over the place, whether it's, you know, in your home, in your business, in your family, whatever it might be. It's not just about that one interaction between the two of you. Relationships stand in the way of everything or facilitate everything. So it's really, really powerful. You can't get away from it. It's great to hear an example like that, you know, in the workplace, as well as, you know, how you originally started getting into it, which was, you know, basically the most important relationship you have, your your marriage. And so uh, it's great to see that these this principle, this solution, it is kind of a one size fits all because it's always about you and the other person. It's always about in whatever relationship it is. It's about yeah. having that, you know, in mind. So yeah. it really it works. So, yeah, totally. Well, this has been great talking again, and uh, I want to put everybody over towards where they can either find out more about you and or grab the book. So uh, where would you like me to link up in the show notes? And you can shout that out now here, too. Yeah. So people can go to brianfalchuk.com. It's B-R-Y-A-N-F-A-L-C-H-U-K.com. And you can get to all of my books and get stickers and hats, tool and and, uh, and other fun stuff. And if they heard the do a day episode, um, there's a masterclass for do a day now. So you can actually engage in that and take yourself through the journey to go out and do it and live a better life every day. Nice. I'll link up to all that in the show notes. And uh, Brian, keep me posted on what you're working on next. And uh, great talking with you. You too, Eric. It's great. Well, that's another podcast crossed off your podcast listening to-do list. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Brian. I know that I did. This was something that kind of honestly, if I'm going to pull back the curtain a little bit, really reveals something about me. I am too reactionary when it comes to my wife and my kids and even other people. And this is something that I am I am personally working on. So to be aware of this, to have self-awareness of it, but then self-awareness of my awareness of other people and their factoring into the 50, 75, 100 solution but also my part in their reactions, kind of mind-blowing. I've been sitting with this now for a few weeks since we recorded this, and and it's done some good for me to re-listen to the episode. And so I know that if you've made it this far in the episode, you've probably had some benefit from it. If you would do me the favor of sharing this episode with somebody else that you know needs to hear it, a lot of good is going to come from this episode and this solution. Because if you look around at the world, that's where we're at right now. People not really listening, just reacting, just escalating back and forth. And that's not any good for anybody. So if again, you would do me that favor of sharing this episode with somebody, you can click the share button here in whatever your podcast player app of choice is, or head on over to the show notes at beyondthetodolist.com where you'll find your choice of share buttons there. Thank you so much for sharing. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you next episode.